Getting a good night's sleep can be much easier said than done, but don't worry, because our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to get the sleep you deserve. CBDPM blends melatonin and other sleep-promoting ingredients with 500 milligrams of high-quality CBD to create a powerful and effective sleep aid. And to make it even easier to get the year started off right, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code NBA, for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramilla, credentialed reporter and the host of Locked on Heat, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, Miami will be on a two-game winning streak. Full disclosure, I'm recording this on Saturday afternoon for an NBA Finals rematch. Adam Silver did not consult me, and unfortunately, it's an anniversary that I have to celebrate today. Uh, my wife would not let me off the hook. I told her, look, it's the Lakers. It's too big. I can't pass this up. And she said, nope, dates are dates. And tonight is date night for me and her. So unfortunately, we'll not be able to provide a recap of the Lakers game right away. But I did want to get an extra podcast out there because you all deserve it, quite frankly. And so despite the fact I won't be recapping the Lakers game right after the game itself, I'll be providing a recap the following day on a Sunday. You Maybe you can hear this one in between. Maybe you've already heard this one. Make sure you download every episode many times if possible. I did also want to talk about some key dates that kind of coincide with uh, the past week. Uh, Miami just celebrating the six-year anniversary of Goran Dragic's trade. Uh, something uh, I, I think is uh, important in Heat history, and I wanted to touch on that as a little bit, as well as Justice Winslow getting set to make his Memphis Grizzlies debut, hopefully sometime soon. But first of all, I kind of wanted to look at the past offseason for the Miami Heat, because that just seems to be the ongoing topic. You look at this team's failings, regardless of their win over the Sacramento Kings and their potential win over the Lakers, and you say to yourself, well, there's holes in this roster. And I get all that. But I also, I am supportive of how the offseason played out. Like, you can't, you can't necessarily fault them for it. And a lot of you do. This isn't to judge you in any way, shape, or form for it. You're all free to make your decisions. My, I'm going to present my point of view because, well, it's my podcast and you're listening. And I support, and I appreciate that support, for, of course. But the big goal, as always, was acquiring a superstar. Giannis Antetokounmpo specifically, maybe somebody else along those lines in 2021. We all went into last offseason knowing exactly what the plan was. 2021, Pat Riley has not made any mistake about that. He has been very clear and upfront that that was the goal. That everything was working out specifically towards that the type of uh, contracts they acquired, the freeing up of salary, doing everything they possibly could to get to this point. The fact that Kelly Olynyk's contract comes up, player options, team options rather, for multiple players. That was the deal. And everybody was in support of that. All of you listening to that were in support of the idea that Giannis signed his Supermax extension didn't change it. If you recall the timing of it, he recall he signed his very, very late, even to the start of training camp. He had a certain timeline. He met that timeline just barely. 
and he signed that Supermax deal. Even if you go back prior to that, Miami didn't really have much options. Like you're, I've seen a lot of criticism about why didn't they re-sign Jay Crowder? Well, first of all, I love Jay. I think he was a fantastic part of a fantastic season last year. But I made it very clear following last season that it seemed like very obvious to me anyway that Jay's priority was the stability of a long-term contract. His comments to media following the season where he talked about playing for the Boston Celtics, playing for the Utah Jazz, playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers, playing for the Memphis Grizzlies, playing for the Miami Heat. Five teams, one thing in common, a contract. Like, we all want to consider loyalty being a big part of the NBA. It doesn't exist, and I have to keep making that clear. It doesn't exist on either end. You'll hear players say it. You'll hear very few media members say it, but loyalty does not exist. The, the, the front office will trade your ass in a heartbeat if they can get somebody better or if they feel like you're no longer useful. They will find a way to move you if they don't want to pay you, just for whatever reason. Look at the loyalty that Miami was going to pay them after a fantastic run in the finals, after proving himself as a key component for Miami's deep run in the playoffs. They were still asking Jay to be patient, to sign a one-year deal, and we'll make it up to you the following season. That's a hell of a risk for a player to take. His own teammate on the Boston Celtics, Isaiah Thomas, took that chance. He wound up waiting for free, and so he didn't take the extension that the Celtics offered him. And he said famously, they're going to have to back up the Brinks truck to pay him. Well, he got hurt badly and was never quite the same after that, and then was immediately traded away to the Los Angeles Lakers. Wound up signing a minimum veteran deal, now playing for USA Basketball hasn't really been a factor in the NBA for a couple of seasons. So that's perhaps the more tragic end of that spectrum. Maybe not tragic, but disappointing, upsetting, and certainly personally to Thomas, you know, not the kind of contract, not the kind of career that he wanted to after being such a big part of what happened to the Celtics during their success, during Brad Stevens' early tenure there. Just couldn't be, he can't be the kind of player he once was. So loyalty is non, non-existent. It is not just a one-way street. It's not a two-way street, certainly. It just doesn't exist in terms of the NBA. And, and hats off to Crowder for seeking the deal and getting it. Like, he can go suck as much as he wants to in Phoenix now, and he's going to get paid regardless. That's just the reality of it. So good for him. As far as Miami's other options, look, Derek Jones Jr. wanted the same kind of stability. He took a two-year deal, not for a great amount. Miami certainly could have matched it if they wanted to. His I'm sure his heart was set on playing in Miami alongside a great friend in Bam Adebayo to be a contributor to another deep playoff run after everything that he'd been through. For a team like Miami to have given Derek a chance and for him to get to that point where he can get paid, he owed Miami. He felt a kinship there, no doubt. And he wound up taking a two-year deal, again, for that same stability that Miami couldn't offer him. So Miami at fault in that sense, but... They had a plan. It just hasn't worked out and won't work out. But even in terms of like overall options for last offseason, there weren't many. If you discount their own players, other players from other teams that might have fit Miami's holes in you know, terms of the power forward or guard position, they took deals elsewhere. Serge Ibaka agreed to a deal with the Clippers almost immediately. 
so many other players that I think Miami Heat fans thought, oh, they might be a great fit here. Uh, Marcus Saul taking a deal with the Lakers. Wes Matthews taking a deal with the Lakers. Guys that could have fit a specific need on this roster. They got those deals signed right away. Miami was playing their waiting game. And maybe it bit them in the ass. But they did shore up certain weaknesses. They drafted a four in Precious. They added Avery Bradley as a point of attack defender. And they brought back the rest of the team. I think there's a lot of unnecessary criticism of Myers Leonard. Oh, he's a $10 million a year cheerleader, etc. Like, I get it. Myers had already proven to be mostly ineffective towards the end of last season. He wasn't really getting the same kind of opportunities he had in the bubble. Um, you know, he in the, in the bubble, he did not have the same opportunities he had earlier in the year. And it seemed like he probably wasn't going to get those opportunities now either. I think the signing made sense. I was a little surprised at the amount of the contract, but overall, I think you want to bring back a guy like Myers because of chemistry, because of what he does bring on the court. The amount, it's a one-year rental. He's not going to have that option exercised by the team next season. Like He's, he's going to become an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. And he can choose to get a deal elsewhere, or he can probably sign in closer to if not a vet minimum, maybe mid-level exception. I could see him getting a deal for somewhere in the 3 to $5 million range as a one-year player. We'll see how it works out. I just, you know, Bam's extension was important, and Miami offered it even before Giannis signed his Supermax. I think they probably had some clear indication that Giannis was going to stay in Milwaukee, and that's why Bam got his deal. Maybe you restricted things somewhat, but you always take care of your own. And so you were just... Look, all these deals were done, I'm certain, with Jimmy's awareness. Approval maybe is too strong a word, but he certainly was aware of what was going on. I just, I don't feel like you can criticize the front office too much. They took a chance. I, I, you know, can we make the same argument in 2009? Like maybe they should have done something differently. Maybe they shouldn't have traded Sean Marion for Jermaine O'Neal. O'Neal, unfortunately, struggling in the 2010 playoffs against the Boston Celtics. Maybe, maybe you wasted a season of, of Dwayne's peak when he was at an MVP level. And yes, those concerns exist with Jimmy as well. But I think the big plan is still there. I think it's still met with Jimmy's approval. I don't think there's any tension between Butler and the front office. I don't think there's any, any tension between Butler and Eric Spolstra. I think Tyler did not take necessarily a huge leap this season so far. But he's been a very productive player coming off the bench. He's been very good starting. He even had a lot better performances than a lot of people are giving him credit for. Maybe he's not an immediate superstar, but he's a hell of a role player, a six-man score, whatever you want to call it. That, that, that role, he plays very, very well. And so you have to give credit to Tyler and the front office for saying we're not going to deal him right away for anybody else because we know we're getting on average a 17-point-per-game score. That's pretty good in terms of the NBA. And so you hope that maybe Precious takes a bigger leap. Maybe you hope that Mo Harkless is Jay Crowder very, very light or Derek Jones Jr. very, very light. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case for Harkless either. Injuries, lack of fit, maybe just never had it. I questioned the Harkless signing right away. I didn't really see much of him earlier in his career. I know he had some big stretches with the Clippers and with the Knicks, but I just his shooting was a concern and – Remains so for obvious reasons. His defense, solid. Obviously, breaking up passes and things of that sort, he's shown effort, but I, I just never really saw him being 
that kind of player that Crowder was. I would have hoped that they could have signed somebody else. Maybe there just wasn't a lot of options. Miami has done their due diligence, though. They did everything possible. They had a plan. It didn't work out. I'm sure they figured it out. They, they saw the potential with Avery Bradley and Precious Achua to shore up a lot of the holes there. And I think they've done a pretty solid job. No one expected to have Jimmy Butler miss three weeks. And maybe they should have counted on Goran Dragic missing as much time as he has. But some of that was due to health and safety protocols. Some of that is related to injury. They're taking their time with bringing him back. I, I think Goran's probably available. I don't have this. I haven't reported on this. I haven't said anything. I don't even have any source information within the team. But my feeling is that he's probably would have been available. But you want to take it slowly. Why? Because he's 35. Because he's coming off of a huge injury that I thought was going to force him into retirement. And you want him to be the player that he was in the Orlando bubble, where he was the team's leading scorer for so much of their deep playoff run. And if that's the case, you don't want to rush him back. Does it cost you a win in February? Hell yeah, it does. Could you have used him against the Jazz or against the Warriors? Damn right. But you can use him a lot more in the playoffs when you're knocking off the Nets in six games, when you're knocking off the Bucks in five games. That's where Goron's value comes into play. That's where it came into play last year in the bubble too. And so that's the, the risk that you take, another risk, for a franchise that has always made very calculated risks. So we have to, I think, temper our expectations for these regular season wins and also realize Jimmy Butler's not going anywhere, Bam Adebayo's not going anywhere, and neither is Bradley Beal or any of the superstar names that are routinely linked to Miami. There's just too much at stake here. I don't think those the prices, the expected return on those players is too great for Miami to compete there. I just, I, It's not realistic to think that they're going to be able to make a deal for a superstar. And so if that's the case, you're looking at probably acquiring a role player, hoping that you strike gold again, or maybe, again, as I've mentioned so many times recently, capture lightning in a bottle. What happened in the Orlando bubble was a unique experience. Miami and their front office, and certainly their fans, are hoping to duplicate that. I'm just not sure it's likely to happen. Maybe you can find somebody. There are probably names out there, because I I know there was no way that Andre Iguodala seemed to be on Miami's radar, at least from the outside perspective, prior to the trade acquisition. No one thought, hell, let's get a 35-year-old veteran that hasn't played all season with the Memphis Grizzlies. That didn't seem likely. And Jay Crowder was struggling big time in Memphis. He wound up becoming almost a superstar here shooting 45% for most of his tenure. You hope that Miami can find that kind of success again. You look at some of the players at the uh, bottom of the standings and and you wonder whether or not Miami might be able to pluck somebody free. My feeling is still that it's probably Tucker or Thad Young somewhere around there. We'll have to continue to monitor this. But I think their offseason was not the failure so many people expected to be. But it's still early in the season. There's still time to turn things around. But more importantly, it's a key date. It's a key date in franchise history. I'll revisit the Goran Dragic trade on its 6-year anniversary and break it all down for you here on the next segment of the number one Miami Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and analysis. One thing you can always count on, that's bet online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing Bet Online even covers awards and TV shows, reality TV of all kinds, real time updated odds and props, and almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. 
So head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Make sure you use the promo code locked on when you use Bet Online. Sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. Look, I never want to send you to another podcast. Once you're done listening to Locked On Heat, if you want to get more of a feel for everything in the sports world, Locked On Today has you covered. I was on it last week. Real quick hits, just gets you the bare bones. Why does the – my question was, why did the Heat struggle? That's what I was asked by Peter. It's a great show, so much information. You can pack your day. You could probably squeeze it into a, a trip to the bathroom or, you know, when you're getting in your car. Before you even get in your car to listen to Locked on Heat, you could probably crank out Locked on Today on uh, two times speed there. I know a lot of people listen to podcasts very quickly, so it's always interesting to hear how this – whole format has changed so much. I've been so fortunate to be able to be on a podcast where so many people listen to the show on a daily basis. But back to another time. Six years ago, 2015, February 19th, the six-year anniversary, we just passed it, of the Miami Heat acquiring Goran Dragic. That was, I believe, no, yes, I'm not, I don't believe, I know for a fact, it was still the days of the Heat check. My former co-host and I, Wes Goldberg, talking by phone, uh, recording on his computer via GarageBand. I think that was the app he was using at the time. And uh, the quality sucked. At least that's what some of the reviewers said on iTunes. I, I was, I think we were all a little surprised that we were even on iTunes. But so many, I guess enough people were listening to the show. We were, I, I'm pretty certain we were the first Miami Heat podcast out there. Nothing quite consistent. Like I was doing a, a show for Hot Hot Hoops on SB Nation, and uh, of course the Miami Heat beat folks were also doing some content somewhat, somewhat irregularly, and Wes and I were just reacting to things on a semi-regular basis. But when the Goran Dragic trade happened, what great news. And that was that's the thing that I always take from it is mid-2015, the Heat are struggling, I think eight games under five hundred. And, you know, there's been some nagging injuries to Dwayne Wade, to Chris Bosh. It's the first season post-LeBron. Lou Dang is there. You're not quite sure what to make of this group. And uh, you, you try to put it all together. Josh McRoberts, who was supposed to be a big part. And I will always defend the McRoberts signing. He wasn't supposed to be the superstar. He was always supposed to be a, a backup to LeBron in 2014. Uh, that just didn't work out, obviously. So... So many things had gone wrong for Miami early that season, but Miami goes all in that they're contenders, that they want to become relevant again despite the loss of LeBron James, and they swing big for a, a star player. And I think it's so interesting now to look back on this six years ago and realize that Goran Dragic is not a star. But the feeling at the time was that Miami all of a sudden had somebody who was going to enter the conversation as one of the best point guards in the Eastern Conference. And that was a legitimate conversation at the time. You looked at the West that had Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and I'm probably forgetting Dame Lillard, of course. So many other guys there that you looked at as the best point guards in the NBA at the time, and probably still do. Maybe Westbrook's no longer in that conversation for obvious reasons. But Steph Curry, certainly. 
let's say the West has most of the best point guards locked up pretty clearly. But Goran comes over to the East, and he's competing against Kyrie Irving on and off in Cleveland. You've got John Wall, somewhat solid, obviously, as a player, fringe all-star. You've got some other names in the East there, but Goran was right up there with him. A hell of a shooter, guy who finishes at the rim at a high level, maybe not a great defender, solid passer. Third team All-NBA the season before Miami acquired him. And then stuck in Phoenix on a contract year, looking to get paid. And that was the reason why the trade took place. He made some complaints that unfortunately became public. He criticized the Phoenix Suns front office. He said he wanted to be traded to a more stable environment. He was also competing against Isaiah Thomas and Eric Bledsoe. It was a three-guard rotation that didn't work. It never did. They wound up trading Thomas to Boston, quite notably. Bledsoe winds up going a couple years later. But Dragic wanted out, and he got his wish. He was traded to Miami. Miami giving up quite a haul. That was also a big part of the the, the trade grades that always happen after any midseason trade. You know, the immediate reaction for me, one of excitement, that Miami buys into it. You're getting a star player in Gorn, a fun player, a good player, one that brings the ceiling up of that team even higher than it was. Uh, and then from a national perspective, so many people saw the deal and said, well, it's iffy. Miami taking a chance on a player that's on a, a contract here. He could sign elsewhere. He could have bolted to the Knicks. There was some talk about him going to New York who had some cap space at the time. And so it was hard. It's it's so interesting to think about this six years later, like that Goran was a free agent. Now you view him, he's such a heat lifer. He's been through so many ups and downs with his team. And there was a legitimate concern from a lot of national pundits that he wouldn't re-sign in Miami. And so that was the skepticism about the deal. As far as gauging it and rating it from an immediate perspective, hell yeah, it fits. Like Dragic is a great addition. He's a talented player. He plays uh, alongside Dwayne. He's going to share some of the playmaking handles there. You know, He's going to be uh, shooting from long range, etc. Fortunately, the pairing with him and Dwayne didn't quite work out. And then, of course, Dwayne wound up leaving a year later. That relationship never uh, – on the court, I want to say. On the court, they never quite figured out. Goran had to take a step back because Dwayne was such a primary ball handler. So it, it was never quite the fit it should have been. And I don't think that was Goran's fault. I also think, you know, Dwayne being Dwayne, he could pretty much do whatever he wanted to with his franchise, and I think the franchise would take it pretty well, except get paid. That's the one thing the franchise won't do. That's a whole other conversation. But I, I want to also look at the career in Miami because I feel I can say this without any doubt whatsoever. He is the best point guard in franchise history. And it's interesting also in context of, like, the current conversation about all-star players and who gets to be the all-star, one of the big factors is – Team success. Oh, the team with the best record, they must have three all-star players there. Well, that's not the case. Like, I, I don't think so. I think it should be based on individual merit. That it always translates to wins or that it doesn't translate to wins. Like, there are so many factors beyond an individual player's control. It could be coaching. It could be a rookie that hasn't stepped up, an injury to another key player. Like, look at Bradley Beal. Elected as a starter, deservedly so, leading the league in scoring. Their team sucks. That's not his fault what, that Russell Westbrook has passed his prime or that Davis Bertans hasn't lived up to his contract or that Scott Brooks is limited as a coach. Those things are not beyond – I mean, they're beyond Beal's ability to control. And so when you look at Goran's tenure here, team success is the thing that I think is held against him when you're looking at him versus Tim Hardaway. 
And it's easy to romanticize Tim Hardaway and those fun playoff runs with the Heat versus Knicks and everything else. They didn't achieve any championship success either. They made the playoffs a lot more than this team has with uh, with Goran. But a lot of that was because you're rotting, you know, you're trotting out. I hate to use the term mediocre, but let's say you're not you're not filled with superstar players. You didn't have superstar level players, including Goran. Goran maybe never a superstar but always a very good and underappreciated player, even by Heat Nation. And that's unfortunate because he's been very, very good for very, very long. Look at the numbers. They backed it up almost completely. I think he's had a fantastic run here. I think his number is going to be hanging from the Raptors. And I'm just glad that the six-year anniversary gave me an opportunity to revisit that whole process, everything from the excitement of his acquisition to the unknowing what was going to happen. Of course, that later that day, or perhaps even the next day, we found out that Chris Bosch had a season-ending blood clot issue. Of course, it would wind up being career-ending. So disappointing. And, um, you know, I think Goran's just had a fantastic run there. I think so many people's had their perspective turned around by his incredible performance in the Orlando bubble last year. And, and I'm glad it happened. For me, I didn't need that as further proof. If somebody else did, well, so be it. As long as they come to that same conclusion that he is, again, unequivocally, the best point guard in Heat franchise history, and that his number will soon be hanging from the rafters once he retires. That's that's what we can all agree on, and I think he deserves that recognition. He's had a fantastic career and certainly a fantastic stint in Miami. But a player who'd never quite lived up to the expectations, Justice Winslow is set to make his return with the Memphis Grizzlies. I'll revisit the deal from a year ago and how it's worked out for everyone involved in the next segment here on Locked on Heat. Built Bar is having a flash sale of their Coconut Puff Bar. It's luscious chocolate filled with soft marshmallow. It's made from premium collagen protein blend. It has 16 grams of protein, 130 calories, only 6 grams of sugars. It's gluten-free, preservative-free. It's fantastic. Make sure you go get yourself that as soon as possible. But unfortunately, it's available for a limited time only. It's a one-day sale. Make sure you order now. Go to BuiltBar.com. Get yourself the Coconut Puff Bar. You won't regret it. Fridays on Locked On NBA, join Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers and Adam Matis of Locked On Nuggets for a wrap-up of the biggest stories around the league. Anthony and Adam bring you game recaps, weekend previews, and a weekly NBA power ranking you can't miss. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure you always download the Tuesday episode with me and Wes Goldberg. We try to get you uh, a little bit of everything as well, so uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy a national perspective on the league. Again, get yourself to Locked On NBA podcast, but... Today, we'll be talking about Justice Winslow. I'm recording this again on a Saturday afternoon. Justice, listed as questionable for the Memphis Grizzlies, has not played for them since he was traded there almost a year ago by the Miami Heat. And it's just interesting how that elicits a response from Heat Nation, especially in context of what's been happening with the team and their deficiencies at the power forward spot. It's a, it's a really strange situation there, right? Because if you recall exactly what happened with Justice, and he's another player who's had some really bad luck in Miami. As a rookie, proved to be a fantastic... Look, first of all, his drafting. Like, he, for me, shades of Karan Butler that he slipped to the 10th spot in the lottery. A guy who was supposed to be a top five pick and winds up dropping. Miami takes him, oh, obviously. They don't trade him away to the Boston Celtics. The Charlotte Hornets don't trade 
their stash of picks. The ninth pick, they took Frank Kaminsky, which seems like an eternity ago. Uh, they had all these picks offered to them by Danny Ainge because they wanted just as he was going to be the player. And it's just also, like, teams live and die with a trade or a free or free agent signing and everything else like that. Like, just the, the interesting what-ifs of NBA history. So many of them playing out every year. And you wonder whether a team could have done something differently here, there, and maybe would have changed their, their situation completely. Look, look, I mean... The Celtics have all that treasure trove of draft picks. They would have given up all of them for Justice Winslow if he'd had the same career path in Boston that he did in Miami. Well, that team doesn't compete for a championship. Like they just they don't get Jason Tatum, they don't get Jalen Brown. Even you know they do things very very differently. It, it winds up being a, a very different draft uh, for the Celtics and a very different timeline for them too. So. It's it's just it's just crazy to me how a a move or a move that doesn't happen winds up changing the outcome of a franchise's history. Why he was traded in the first place, I think it's pretty well known now that he wanted a bigger role on this team. Even with the acquisition of Jimmy Butler, even with Bam's likely emergence, even with guys like Dion Waiters and James Johnson still on the roster, uh, Justice wanted to be known as you know one of Miami's big three there perhaps, or or at least one of their you know up and con- up and coming stars. And it just never quite worked out for him. And I think he, he bristled a little bit. With Justice, it's always kind of interesting. This is all very subjective and speculative on my part. I feel like Justice is a very interesting person. He's talked pretty openly about his mental wellness. I don't want to say issues with mental health necessarily, but just like he's he was depressed during his tenure here when he couldn't quite live up to the expectations of his draft selection and that he couldn't play as well that he struggled with his shooting and everything else away from home for the first time uh, on such a huge stage where you're criticized so routinely and regularly it's it's tough and I think that he saw himself being healthier last year than he actually wound up being and that he wound up he wound up thinking he was going to have a bigger role and, and he saw that kind of slipping away from him as they bring in Jimmy to kind of well do exactly what Justice does bring the ball up initiate offense be a switchable defender you know you look at the holes in Miami's current roster and Justice is certainly a guy that would have filled a lot of them. He would have been that playmaking guard that you don't have. He would have been a guy who can initiate offense pretty easily. He would have been certainly a switchable forward that you can put in there and plug. If you're you know down a guard here, you can put in Justice Winslow. If you're down a four or a three, you can put in Justice Winslow. Like He filled so many different spaces there, and so he would have been such a perfect fit on this roster. But with with his lingering injury issue. And if you recall the drama about it, again, it's been a year, but it feels like such a lifetime ago. You know, he said it was a a lingering concern. He said it was a a bigger problem. They misdiagnosed it, if you recall correctly. They said it was a a bone bruise, and then it was a strained back or vice versa, even harder to kind of go into it. None of it matters. We don't know what team doctors were saying. We don't know what, you know, Justice heard or what the, the coaching staff implored him to get back onto the floor. You also recall that when they signed Jimmy Butler, they traded away Hassan Whiteside. One of the things they said it was that it was a zero tolerance, which is why Deion Waiters was suspended for so many games, why James Johnson didn't play when he, quote-unquote, failed his conditioning test. So Justice Winslow, you know, if he wants to have a bigger role and then he's not rushing back to come back from injury and he's taking his time – the Heat front office didn't really care for that. The Heat coaching staff didn't really care for it either, and so he was traded away. You know, the the pros of the deal, and there are pros and cons to every deal, is that, of course, you add Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, and Solomon Hill, and that cemented the team in a way that I don't think it was 
I don't think they would have had the success they had last year, even if they had kept Dion Waiters playing at his prime or as close to it uh, during his Heat tenure. If you know, you got James Johnson here, another guy who would fill all of those holes that Miami currently has in their roster as a ball handler and defensive four, switchable defensive four. You know, I I just don't know that you would have been able to make the same kind of successful run as you did before trading away Justice. Like Crowder fits so well here. Iguodala understood his role and brought like a leadership, a stability to a roster that seemed lacking. Even a guy like Solomon Hill was such a good locker room presence such a great guy to have around he's fun he's smart he's interesting like with all the chaos of the season you don't you just don't need players that grumble about playing time or you don't need players that are kind of still trying to figure out who they are as people much less as NBA players like those veterans understood their role and they accepted it and they played it perfectly and so you don't have the success of last season even if it's not on the court you don't have that success off the court without guys like Crowder and Iguodala and Hill because I think they were such a big part of adding to camaraderie that was already there. Um, they were perfect for the bubble, quite frankly. They were perfect for the title run, and they did everything. And then, of course, when you look at whether or not Justice would have been able to live up to the same expectations, I don't think he would. I mean, not only is there an injury history there, you just don't know how he would have fit on that roster. What if he would have he have been uh, upset about not getting playing time or not starting and you know things of that sort. It's very unclear, very unpredictable, and that's part of why it was such a good decision to trade him away. And you just don't know how he would have fit moving forward either. Justice still under contract. Let's say the injury issue is resolved. He's able to play there. Obviously, he doesn't hurt his hip like he did for the Grizzlies last season. He's on this roster. Would he have accepted a bench role? Would he have liked playing alongside Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson? Would he have liked seeing Duncan getting paid more than he was? These are legitimate questions. Again, the what-if scenarios of every NBA season and NBA team, you never know the answers to. So it's it's difficult to say that Justice would have embraced his role the same way some of these guys on the roster would have. And and the cons are, however, that he'd be perfect for this roster. So many great things there. He's young. He fits Bam's timeline better. Could play all those multiple roles. Familiarity with what Eric Spolster was trying to coach. And if you look at the current issues defensively, like a, a switchable player, one that plays hard, makes quote-unquote winning plays, that's something Eric Spolster used to love saying about Justice Winslow. That's something that they're missing, and I think he would have been such a great fit here. But unfortunately, we'll never know how it would have played out, and we'll never get that chance. The ultimate takeaways from all this is that despite how much he'd helped Miami this season, it's impossible to know how a year nursing various injuries would have left Winslow's status with the Heat. Things could have gotten worse and more contentious. He might have been traded this offseason, perhaps for another serviceable forward. We'll never know. But then he definitely wouldn't have made a run to the finals that made last season the best in franchise history. And this is a point... I've made before that despite not winning a title in context of how they exceeded expectations and outperformed more quote talented teams that he provided almost everything you want out of a basketball season camaraderie flashiness tenacity grit success during a year that tested all of humanity not just those of us that love the game the heat gave us something to root for and be excited about when the turmoil of our failed politics and the anguish of oppressed people and the mounting death toll of COVID-19, we could still look at Miami and find joy in basketball. It's why I can't bring myself to throw the towel on this season so completely, at least not yet, because that group was special and most of that group is still here in the roster. So don't give up, Heat Nation. Uh, your faith will almost certainly be rewarded. At least I strongly believe that. And I just wanted to leave you with a positive note. 
because despite how they'll fare rather against the Lakers, I still think there are positives there. And I want you to look forward to the rest of the season because I think it's going to be pretty damn good. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockdownHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. I'm David Ramil signing off and thanking you as always for your support.